thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're concluding this series, Life Happens, Choose Joy. And how many here know that life doesn't always happen or end up the way that you think or thought it would. How many could say amen to that? Okay, good. That's mostly all of us. The rest of you, you just have a cakewalk. Good for you. Now you got to deal with us who are cranky because it didn't always work out that way. But we have to know this, that joy is a choice. So if joy is available to us in our everyday life, it's a choice because we know this, that life doesn't happen and turn out the way that we always want it to. And so we're going to be reading. I'm going to get pretty straight. I'm going to get straight into this message today. We're going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open to it. I think it would be great for you to do that. Also, we're going to have it on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but as you're opening to that, it's the understanding that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. It's, he planted the church. He started the church. He went through a lot of pain starting this church. He's been beaten and made fun of and, and, and thrown into jail and asked to leave. And all kinds of things were said about him. And there was manipulation going on. And he loves these people. He went to this place where there was no church. They did not know about Jesus Christ. He preached to them. Their lives were dramatically, drastically changed. And a church was planted. And as he begins to write this letter to them, as we've looked over the last two weeks, he's dealing not just with, hey, he's not just dealing with theology and dealing with all these, these truths about God. He's dealing with something that impacts all of us in a very intimate way. He's dealing with their attitudes. And how many here know that at times in your life, you need a little bit of an attitude adjustment, right? Amen to that. How many with kids? Okay, let's just back up. How many with kids know kids need attitude adjustments? Okay, we don't, but definitely our children do most of the time. Yeah, we, we understand that. And so Paul is dealing with and writing this letter to this group of people that he loves dearly, but he wants to see them succeed. And in chapter 3, he begins to deal with some issues of God's love and God's grace, and what it means that, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to put your, your trust into Jesus Christ? He's also writing this letter because some of the people in this church were, they were practicing Jews who had put their trust in a system and in a law, and he's letting them know that system and that law actually doesn't do anything for their souls anymore after Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so we're going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to read 14 verses. It's going to be a lot of fun. Just bear with me as we, as we walk through this. But let these words speak to you. And I'll pray when we're, when we're done reading this and then get into the message. So let's begin. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Lord. Here's, this, here's this, this word of joy again. Whatever happens. Wouldn't that be great? That Whatever happens, whatever storm, whatever pain, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs. He doesn't mess around. <laughs> those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Basically, he's saying there was there, the, the Jewish leaders were saying in order to be saved, you've got to do this act of circumcision, which is, a, is, a, is an Old Testament law that, that proves your faith and justification. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who 
are truly circumcised. So now he's saying that actually righteousness does not come through an act of the flesh. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence, say no confidence, in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. But now, after Christ, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when, when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Isn't that interesting? Throws in garbage. Well, I'll explain that in just a bit. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count all of my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It doesn't depend on works. It depends on faith. I want you to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved all these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for inspiring and speaking to Paul. Thank you that as he wrote this, God, it, it became your words on a page, your breath on a page. And so, Lord, today as we get into this, may it speak to us, may it challenge us, may we leave here different, may we leave here in a fresh understanding of Jesus, what you've done for us, and God, your love for us. In Jesus' name, when we all say, Amen. Amen. So, I want to talk to you about helps and hindrances to the joy filled life. Because there are actually things that help us to walk in this joy, and there are things that hinder us from walking in this joy. And the fact is this, they're both our choices. We can choose to walk in a help and to, and to, for something to fuel that flame of joy in our lives or we can do something that hinders the joy in our lives. And I'd be willing to bet, especially today, in the world that we live in, there are so many people who struggle with this idea of joy. I'm not talking about happiness that has to do with our, with our happenings. I'm talking about joy, that no matter what you go through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what pain you're in, no matter what relational conflict you're in, that there is a joy that you can access deep inside your heart. And so Paul is pointing us to that today. And I want to talk about the first help. Again, I'm going to get straight into this. And the first help in having a joy-filled life is this that Paul talks about, is to rest in God's love and God's grace for me. I'm going to try to fix this. There, I did it. Okay, good. So I need to rest in God's love and grace for me. This message of grace, it is a transformational, mind-altering, 
change if we can understand it. The message of grace was actually the message for me that changed me from being a performer for God to being a lover and a follower of God. I always had this idea that God was like, and maybe you probably do as well, that God was like some some college professor or some third grade teacher, Mrs. Hutchinson. I love you, Mrs. Hutchinson. Who was always grading me on everything that I did. She was watching me like like an eagle eye. And everything I messed up, man, she was on me. She was dealing with me all the time, which I thank God for that now, but I didn't like it then. But sometimes I felt like that was God. He was looking at my performance. And to be honest with you, most of the people around me who were in the Christian faith that I was in probably functions from this same mindset, and they did function from it. This is what I thought. If I sinned, I'm out. If I repented, I'm back in. I'm a son. Oh, I messed up. No, I'm not a son. I'm, 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 a, I'm a friend of God. I sinned. No, now I'm an enemy of God. And there was this, this tension in my heart that I felt like if I had a bad thought, if I messed up, if I did something that I knew was wrong, and then I got in a car accident and died before I repented, then I'm going to hell. And that's, what I, that's the world I lived in. And that, my friend, is not ever how God wants us to think about our place in his family. Imagine if your children felt like I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the family and then I have a bad attitude. Now I'm no longer a part of the family. So I'm going to come, come sorry. You know, more porridge, please knock on the door. Can I please come back to the family? I'm sorry. Okay, now you're back in. But it, imagine that. And I would be willing to bet many of us have that same mindset of God. If you're perfect, then, oh, good, I've earned my place in the family. If you make a mistake, oh, no, God has cast me out. If I don't do something, I'm going to go to hell. That is not the security of your eternity that God wants you to have. He is your father. He redeemed you by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He brought you into his family. He put a ring on your finger, and he said, you belong to me. And what Paul is dealing with here is this whole idea that you have to do something in order to perform and please God. Well, I was told about this message of grace by a youth pastor. His name was Gil Otterburn in Paducah, Kentucky at a church called Cornerstone Church. And I went there, I was 17 years old, and he asked me a question one day that totally rocked my world. He said this, he said, Jason, what do you know about grace? And I thought grace was this, that grace is what keeps God from killing me. That's what grace was. (laughs) He really doesn't like me, but because he's gracious, he has to like me. But really deep down inside, I knew he didn't. And my youth pastor explained to me that actually you could see grace and the picture and the person of Jesus Christ. That because God loved me and wanted me to be in his family, he sent his son to pay the price for my own violation against him. That by me putting my trust in Jesus, I received, I want you to hear this, I received everything Christ deserves as a son of God. Now that that blows your mind. There's actually an, an acronym for grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That we all can receive What Christ deserves, we now get to experience that because we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And what I knew knew is this. The mercy of God spared me from that which I deserved because of my sin. 
But his grace gave me what I didn't deserve, which is sonship, inheritance, Holy Spirit, the provision of God, and he brought me into his family. It's like if a police officer pulls you over and he, you deserve a ticket, he walks up to your window and he says, hello, you deserve a ticket. You say, I know I was speeding. He says, I'm going to show you mercy and not give you a ticket. Oh, thank God. Okay, wow, thank you. Not thank God. Thank you, officer, for not giving me a ticket. But then he says, but I'm also going to show you grace. And I want you to pull up here to this, to this uh, garage up here. I'm going to put new, new tires on your car. I'm going to change your oil. I'm going to fill it up with gas. I'm going to wash your car. That's called grace. Mercy. Mercy spares you from what you deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. And I want us to understand this. Amen. If you can clap for God's grace, do it good. Amen. Thank you, God. But before I understood this, my life was based on fear. And this is probably where many of you are today, that you're actually not walking in faith. You're walking in fear. Fear of being rejected by God. Am I in or am I out? Am I in or am I out? I had a, I had a roommate in Bible college that every night, man, he was, he was in anguish over his salvation. He, every night he was like, man, I don't know, man, I had a bad thought today. And if I was saved, why did I have a bad thought? It must mean I'm not saved, so I need to. You have people who get to every altar call. They respond because they think they need to get saved again because they messed up that week. The reality is you were already purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ if you put your trust in him. You already belong to the family. But many of us live in this fear-riddled life, and it robs our joy. We fear Failing God. We fear not pleasing God. But we as Christians have every reason to be completely fearless in everything that we do. Though the righteous are as bold as lions, you need to understand how are you righteous? Are you righteous by how good you are? Are you righteous because of how good Jesus is? So you should live fearlessly in the life that God's called you to live, especially when it comes to coming into the presence and having a relationship with God. Matter of fact, Scripture says that the righteous come boldly to the throne of grace, which is into the presence of God himself. But most of us live in this fear. And we need to understand that when God looks at me, this blew my mind, that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my faults. He sees me. Through his son, Jesus Christ. Because I put my trust in him. So just like he would see Jesus, he sees me. Immediately, many of your minds are saying, yeah, but that's not true. And I'd say amen to that. That's not true. But that's why you are clothed. Scripture says you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He put, he put a robe of his righteousness over you. So when God sees you, what does he see? He sees Jesus. This is good. This is a good word for you today. Because most of us live in this world of in, out, good, bad, enough, not enough. God doesn't want you to live there. He wants us to rest in his love and his grace. The Bible is all about what God has, did, has done for you. It is rarely ever about what you can do for God. Jesus said this, I don't want your religion. I don't want you to jump through the hoops to prove, see, look, I, I get your attention. I, I, I have your attention now. No, no, he wants a relationship with you. 
And I remember growing up in a world where any time a message of grace was preached, there was always a caution. There was this caution through the religious hearts of people. Well, be careful when you talk about grace that you don't give people a license to sin. You better be careful about that. And so we as as humanity feel like we got to package the, the, the reckless grace of God in a way that keeps people from doing something they shouldn't. And I understand. Here's the reality. Grace does not give you the permission to sin. Grace is the power to get you out of your sin. And that's the reality of it. So Paul is writing about resting in God's grace. He says this in Philippians 3. He says, as we rely on Christ Jesus... Of what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence. Say no confidence. He doesn't say we put some confidence. We put a little confidence. It depends on what's going on. Then that confidence. No confidence in human effort. Zero. Zip. Zilch. None. Got it? That's what this means. None. Our joy cannot come by performing for God. When you rest in God's love and his grace, Jesus is the source of our joy. Jesus is the reason why we can have a relationship with God. Jesus, that nature of Jesus, as we rest in God's grace because of Jesus, we begin to live the joy from the one from whom our joy comes from, and that is Jesus Christ. The more we look at ourselves, the more we try to just look internally, the more we're, we're going we're gonna to miss it. It's kind of like the driver's ed teacher that said this, Jason, when you drive, if you look to the right, guess what, you're going to go to the right. If you look to the left, guess what, you're going to go to the left. But you, if you fix your eyes on, on what's in front of you, then you're going to go straight. And that's for us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, so that we can become what we see in front of our faces, which is him. You guys with me today? A hindrance to this joy, though, is this. Trying to earn God's love and acceptance. This is a term that I grew up a lot with. It was called legalism. This means that my attitude is what I have to, but everything about me, I have to prove my love for God. I've got to prove to you, God. See, I love you, God. See, see, I wore the shirt today that said, Jesus loves you. It says, turn or burn or, you know, whatever it may be. Liars fry or whatever it is. I wore the, I wore the Lord's gym, you know, shirt with Jesus been pressing the, the earth. See, see, there's nothing wrong with those shirts. I'm just, I, the turn or burn probably, but the other one, you know. But we had to, you know, it was always this constant thing of performing. Legalism is trusting that I have to follow rituals and restrictions and rules and regulations and all these things in order to prove myself worthy for God. That's called legalism. And maybe if I just keep the Ten Commandments and then, and then, then I'll just keep them and then I'll get to heaven. I've got some bad news for some of you today. Every one of you has broken the Ten Commandments. It's called a pregnant pause. We just uh... You think, no, I haven't, Jason. I haven't committed adultery. Actually, Jesus said this, that if you've ever lusted in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. The Bible says if you hate someone, it's the same as committing murder. So if you've ever had any moment of hatred, even if you've moved past it, even if it was for a second, you're guilty of breaking the, the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments of murder. So, and the scripture says if you break one of them, 
you guilty of breaking all, all of them. So what is our hope? The grace of God. The work of Jesus Christ. That you would rest in God's love and God's grace for you. Not in your human effort. This is what Paul is dealing with. This isn't what I'm dealing with this morning. This is what Paul was dealing with in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We're the ones who are really, really saved. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence, say no confidence, in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul says, my efforts were never enough. It's only the work of Jesus Christ. So how do you know if you're a legalist? I've got a great test for you. This is how you know you are a legalist. Are you ready? You're cranky. You're cranky. You're judgmental of other people. The first moment you see someone, in your mind, you're racking off everything that's wrong with them. When you come to church, you don't come to church seeing all that God's doing. You come to seeing everything that you don't like. You've got the list. You run it all the time. You never see what is right in a situation. You always see what is wrong in a situation. And you've got the list. And you've got the longest finger I've ever seen in my life. Listen, I've been around a lot of legalists. I went to college with some legalists. And you actually struggle with something deep in your heart. You have a hard time accepting God's grace yourself. So you've found it as your mission to make sure that no one else feels like they measure up either. And that's what you do. How do you know if you're living by grace and you're resting in this love? This is how you know. You're gracious to others. When somebody's living by grace, then they go, listen, God has forgiven me, and I'm going to forgive you. You walk into a room and you see what's right. You don't leave with a list of, of what's wrong with the preacher's message. You leave with a list of what was right with the preacher's message. You don't leave with a list of what you don't like about worship and what you don't like about the building, what you don't like about the lights, what you don't like about the sound, what you don't like. You leave with a sense of, I felt God's presence today. There's a graciousness about you because you are acting and manifesting the nature of the one of whom you have received grace from. You're gracious. And you think, Jesus, you have been gracious to me. I'm going to be gracious to others. I'm simply alive and surviving today by the grace of God. So I'm going to give grace to other people. It's the awareness of what Jesus has actually done for you. Trying to perform for God, my friends, will drain you of your joy. It will ruin your family. It will cause your children to run from God. It will cause your wife and your husband to run from you. You will never find a church you fit in because you will never like it because it will never be good enough. Sounds like a good life, doesn't it? Or you can embrace the grace and the forgiveness of God and apply that grace and forgiveness of God to other people in your life and be light and be graciousness and understand this. Scripture says, Paul, the same one who wrote this, says that through the kindness of God, through the kindness of God, he led people to repentance. Not through the judgment, not through the anger, but through the kindness of God. If you try to perform, you're going to be unhappy. 
and you're going to struggle. Philippians 3.9 says this. Paul, who's, who's wrestled through this, says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law, keeping the rituals, keeping the rules. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on works. Depends on faith. Faith that Jesus, I'm righteous because of what you've done. Blows our minds. Because we're human and we keep tabs of everything and everybody all the time. But I'm righteous because I put my trust in Jesus. Because I said I want to follow you. Every day you need to remind yourself, to have joy in your life, remind yourself I'm going to rest in God's grace today in my life. I'm going to embrace it. I'm no longer going to live under the cloud of what I'm not. I'm going to look to Jesus and I'm going to live under the Son, the Son of God who says what I am. That you are a son of God, you're a daughter of God, you're chosen by God. My hand is on your life. I've got a future for you. I'm going to fix my eyes on what he sees in me, not in what I'm not. The second help to having joy in your life is this, that you need to focus on what the Bible says is most important. I'm going to move quickly through this one. In other words, this, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Listen, the biggest joy killer for all of us is when we're in our cars somewhere in traffic. I didn't say this first service, but there was, um, it was two Sundays ago. And I, pull, I pulled out of, out of this, the driveway here, and I'm, I'm sitting at the light, just right up here, 64th. And I've got, my, I've got my phone up here, and I'm sitting there. I think, I want to put some worship music on. So I reach up, and I, like, hit some worship music. And I'm, I'm at the light, not driving. And I look over, and there's this guy. And maybe you go to the church here. I don't know. There's this guy right next to me. And he's looking at me like this. So he's sitting here. He's looking at me like this. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, I, I don't even know. And then, and then I, I look at him, and then he looks away. And then I see him out of the corner of my eye looking at me again. So I look back at him. He's like. I know, I know what he's doing. He's like, you touched your phone is what you did. You're driving. And I was like. Man, that just, that bugged me and just ticked me off. I thought, what's his problem? I just left church. I had to be like, oh, Lord, I love you. God, thank you. And I get right here to the light, and I'm so ticked off driving down Ward Road. And I think, golly, just in a moment, my joy was gone. Or you try to get over, and somebody won't let you over. I know, I know you've been there. You've probably done it. But, you know, you've been there. And, and so the person, you, you got your blinker on. You're not trying to, you just, I just need to get over. I'm, you know, turning here. Nobody will let you over. And then you look over, and they're not making eye contact with you either. They're just sitting there like this. And then you pull up, and they pull up. And, you re, and, and man, just something, you, your, your joy. Here's the deal. Don't sweat the small stuff. Somehow rise above that as a follower of Jesus and overcome. Or you have a bad hair day and your whole day is ruined. Your joy is gone. Or you, you wake up on Sunday morning after Thanksgiving and your clothes don't fit you anymore. <laughs> and so you just think, I might as well eat another piece of pecan pie because that's just, I'll, I'll figure it out tomorrow. I mean, do these things really matter in life? No, they don't. 
you should not text and drive. Please don't hear what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I just, reached, I just want to clarify that. If you want more joy, Paul says you need to focus on what's important. Don't, wor- don't worry about the small stuff. Don't worry about the stuff that, that you worried about before you knew Jesus. Don't worry about your work, your career, your position, your, the people in your life, the approval of other people. Don't, work, don't worry about making money, getting everything you want. Maybe it's being in a relationship or having, listen, don't let that stuff rob your joy. Paul says all those things are just not important anymore. Paul's status of where he was in the, as one of the Pharisees, he was like, he was like the man. He said, I don't care about that anymore. I've had plenty. I've had once. I don't care about it anymore. And this is, we're in this rat race that we're running all the time. And what we don't get, it just robs our joy from us. And I heard someone say, listen, I'm not running the rat race because even if I win, I'm still a rat. <laughs> when we get saved, we start running another race. We run the race for the glory of God and for the purposes of God. When you get saved, your wants change. They should change. If you get saved and you still desire everything, there's nothing in your spirit that says you shouldn't desire something. I I would really question the regeneration of your heart. That when someone's life experiences the forgiveness of God, things start to change. Your desires start to change. And this happens in, in life, especially when people first come to Christ. They, they're saved. They're radically transformed. They're, they, don't want it. they don't want the alcohol anymore. They don't want the drugs anymore. They don't want the, the illicit sex anymore. They don't want any of that because, my gosh, for the first time they have joy and peace. But what happens after day after day after day of being around the, a world that's always marketing sex and drugs and alcohol and, and, and money and faith and all of that all the time, it begins to kind of get the creep back in. But Paul says this in Philippians 3, he says this, I once thought these things of whatever status or power or anything were valuable, but I could consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you begin to, to always remember what he has done. Here's the hindrance to focusing on what the Bible says matters most is this, letting the world define what matters most. And this is the world we live in. As I've already said, the world's always marketing something after us. Always marketing something. And we're always trying to reach a level of success to live a standard that God doesn't say is success or the standard. No matter, no matter, no matter what we do, we, just, we can't seem to do it. And we're exhausted because they're trying to live up to a standard that God never set for us. And as a believer, we live in light of eternity. That no matter what I have or don't have, the fact is I'm running a race for eternity. No matter what I have and don't have, the matter is God is leading me and guiding me. And so I just, I, I, this is my encouragement to you. Don't give more effort and energy to the things that don't matter than what you do to Jesus Christ. Measure your energy. How much energy are you giving to God? And how much energy are you giving to these things that don't matter? Yes, we got to survive. Yes, God wants you to succeed. Yes, God wants you to work hard. Yes, all of that. But he, in the same manner, why are we doing those things? Are we doing them so that we can draw nearer to God? Are we doing them because we're trying to achieve something that God's like, yes, but I've got more for you. Paul writes in Philippians 3.8, everything else is worthless. When, with, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. 
counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. You know, what I love about the translation of Scripture, sometimes you could see um, some of the translation, how they tried to be maybe a little bit more softer in their language. Actually, this word garbage, do you know what it really means? The actual Greek word? It means poo is what it means. It means manure, dung, feces. I don't mean to be graphic, but I want you to understand what, what Paul is talking about here. I count all of it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Jim Elliott said these famous words, He is no fool who gives up what he, what he cannot keep in order to gain which he cannot lose. The third help to a joy-filled life is this. Make a decision to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what's happening in your life, every single one of us can grow more in our relationship with God. It's one of our purposes as a church that every person here in, in, in our church can know God. And we can know him more and more and more every day. Our joy is found in the reason why we were created. And that was to know God. That was to have a relationship with God. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 10 through 11. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. He wanted to connect so much with the Savior that in suffering, in his death, I want to know him more. I want to understand him more. And we can know about God or we can know God. I remember hearing one time, he says, many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. And 18 inches is the, is the distance between your mind and your heart. You know about God, but you don't know God. And Paul says, I want to know Christ. Every person here can know God, not by your own efforts, but putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have to invest into this relationship. That means if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day spending time with God, please let me encourage you to do that. Any person in any relationships understands that quality time with another, another individual is, has, pays off big. Ten minutes in the morning or the afternoon or the evening, whatever works for you. Listen, don't fall under this legalism that it has to be, but it, probably, it needs to be consistent and it needs to be regular. Find some time to meet with God. Read his word. Commune with him. Talk with him. It doesn't have to be hours and hours and hours. Just begin to live with him and know him in a deeper, deeper way. Make this your prayer like it was David's out of Psalm 25. He says this. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths and guide me in your truth and teach me. This is the cry of a, of a man who is a man after God's own heart. But yet he still desired to know God more. The fourth help of having a life of joy is this. To be honest about the areas of your life that need to change. You need every day to just be honest with yourself. Man, I, I, need, some, I need some work. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's lust. Whatever it is, be honest, please. So that God can heal you. God can grow you. God, I know where I need to grow. God, I, maybe God, I need more faith. I need to, I'm really waning in my faith. I need to believe that you can do something beyond anything I can, I, I can, I can dream of right now. God, I'm weak right now. Just be honest in the areas that, that you need to grow in. And following Jesus is a decision. And yes, it's a decision, but I'm telling you this, it's a journey. And many people get saved, but they never move forward in their relationship with Christ. They never move forward in their relationship with God. You, you go, you're, you're in, 
But then 10 years later, you're still in the same place. It's a walking journey. You've got to grow. You've got to become more and more like God by knowing him and trusting and resting in his grace. But it's a journey. And the beginning of that journey is just being honest with the areas of your life that you need to change. It's a daily check. It's a process that the Apostle Paul wrote about in Philippians 3, 12 through 13. He says, now that I have already obtained all of this, uh, sorry, not, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. In other words, there's more for the Apostle Paul to, to gain. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This was a man towards the end of his life who had preached the gospel, who had been on ups and downs. He had been in shipwrecks. He had, he had, God had spoken to him. He had been, he'd gone to this place. He'd had a dream and gone and preached in this place. He, I mean, he had experienced everything. And he's saying, man, there is still so much more for me to take hold of. And this is, God is, he invites you closer. Come on, get to know me more. Get to know me more. There's, and every step closer is exciting and full of pa passion and full of an amazing journey and adventure with God. So what's going to keep me from growing in my relationship with God is this, being too proud. This is the hindrance. Being too proud to admit I need to change. Listen, God already knows you need to change. He's just waiting for you to ask him. Here's the reality. You think you present you have it all together? Everyone else around you knows you need to change. Your family knows you need to change. God knows you don't have it all together. You're the only one who won't admit that you need to change. Pride keeps us from growing in our relationship with God. So you might as well stop being prideful and say, listen, God, I need to change. I'm, I, I have areas in my life that are messed up and broken and hurting, and I need you to help me. Don't be like the Wizard of Oz and be like, pay no attention to the man behind the, the green curtain. Everyone already knows you're behind the green curtain. Everyone already knows that you're struggling. Just admit it and move on. David, a man after God's own heart, says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I need to rest in God's grace. You need to focus on what the Bible says is most important. I want you, God's heart for you is that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus. And you would be honest about the areas of your life that need to change. And the last one to, to help us walk in this joy that God has for us in our lives is this. Forget what is behind and focus on what is ahead. This is one, actually there's one of these that, that cannot be changed. There's the future and there's the past. The past cannot be changed. I'm sure many of you, you've been hurt a lot. And I'm sorry. I know many of you have suffered so much in your life. Betrayal and pain. And I'm sorry. I know many of you, it's been severe hurts in your life. Whether it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse. Whatever it may, may be. Maybe manipulation. Maybe abuse even in church. And I'm so sorry for that. But I know that there is a great joy on the other side of not allowing your past to anchor you for the future that God has for you. That God wants you to embrace your future. Some people are crippled their whole lives because what happened to them in the past. And, I, and I've seen an offense, a betrayal, or something that turned out the way they, they thought it was or what was promised to them. I've seen it like a dark cloud being over someone's life. 
And it feels like, they feel like it gives them power to relive and rehearse. And somehow they're punishing the person that did something to them. And they've calloused their whole, their whole life. And they're always walking around, see, I'm mad. See, I'm mad. See, I was mistreated. See, and they're really looking for someone to say, I, I know, I know you've been mistreated. I know, I'm so sorry. But what happens is they think it's hindering someone else, but it's only hindering them. And I've heard this before, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting that poison to kill the other person. Don't waste another ounce of energy, another ounce on the pain of the past that cannot be changed in the first place. Paul had a lot of pain in his past. He, he had murdered Christians. He had stood by and watched their heads be beat in by rocks until they could not breathe and they were filled, their lungs were filled with blood. He sat there and watched it and approved of it. Talk about a man with a past. He had suffered rejection and pain. He was hated by everybody and everything at the time. And he says this in Philippians 3, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The hindrance to you moving forward. The hindrance to this process is this unforgiveness towards myself and others. This is the hindrance. And we all have things that we should have done differently. I do. We all have regrets. We all second guess ourselves. But we can't change them. And we can't dwell on them. We have to move on. Don't waste another emotion on, the, on your mistake of the past. My friend, it's over. It's done. It's gone. Receive the forgiveness Jesus offers to you. And move on to your goal and your future like Paul did. That's what God took. Focus on today and focus on your future. Also, there have been things that have been done to us. Been hurtful things that have been, been done to us in the past. And there's, there's something to understand. There's this, it's a theological term there. One is propitiation, where Jesus on the cross took upon the sin that I, that I committed, the sin I was guilty. He took upon himself and paid the penalty for that. The other term is what's called expiation, which is this, that the sin that was done against me, Jesus took upon himself to deliver me, that I, when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I can be free from the sin that I committed, and I can be free from the sin that was committed against me, and I can live a life of joy by the power of God through his son Jesus Christ. Amen. And the hindrance is this. The second hindrance is what God did yesterday becomes more important than what he wants to do today. Another word for this is probably tradition. You hear the fiddler on the roof singing the song, tradition. But this is really what keeps us from moving forward in our journey with God. One is unforgiveness. The other one is what God did yesterday becomes more important than what he, what he wants to do today. So many people miss out on being a part of what God is doing today because they're waiting for him to recreate what and how he did it years ago. They want the same feel, the same look, the same everything. And, and anything that's outside of that, it hinders them from moving forward. And so they oppose anything that doesn't look like that. And really what you're doing, you were limiting 
the work and the power of God to your own experience that you had years ago. God always moves his people into new territory. We'd all say amen to that. We know scripture says that God moves us from one glory to another glory. We would all say amen to that. But here's the deal. You cannot get what God has for you or the impact he has for you without some change in your life or in a church. You can't. There have been churches that have dwindled down, a a room size of this, have dwindled down to 200 people. Do you know why? They refused to what? Change. They refused it. And their own preferences became the most important thing in their church. And then they closed the doors. And I believe how you handle change, how we handle change, reveals our level of spiritual maturity. I really do. It reveals if you're more connected to your preference or more connected to what God is doing today and what he wants to do tomorrow and the people he wants to reach and the families he wants to transform. If God is moving us to another season, you can, and you can say, nope, nope, I'm going to wear my winter clothes because this is God did something in winter and I'm going to wear my winter clothes. And if you're in the middle of summer and God's moved the season along and you're wearing your your winter clothes, the only miserable person is going to be who? It's going to be you. And God says, follow me. Walk with me. Let me guide you in a new season for new territory, for new things. And some things will never change, but some things must change so that we can be everything that God has for us. One of the biggest dividing things in churches over the years has been this whole issue. I'm going to say it. Don't be upset with me. Worship music. That was a joke, just so you know. You're like, I'm still mad about that worship music. It's one of the big, biggest dividing things. I want to read to you guys an article that was written actually in a U.S. newspaper about modern worship music. I just want you to hear it for a moment. And so this, if this was an excerpt. And so there were several reasons by, for opposing, and this is their opinion, opposing this new modern worship music. One, it's too new. And the words are too shallow. It too often sounds like a copy of secular music. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as the more established style. Because there are so many new songs, you can't learn them all. It puts too much emphasis on the instrumental music rather than godly lyrics. The new music can cause people to act indecently and disorderly. I haven't seen that yet, but that's what they said. The preceding generation encountered the presence of God without it. And the last one is this, it's a money-making scheme, and some of these new music artists are lewd, and they are loose. Now, this was, this was written by a pastor, actually, in 1723. (laughs) Attacking Isaac Watts, the writer of the great hymns, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Joy to the world, and that terrible song, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. (laughs) We must not allow what God did yesterday to become more important than what He wants to do today. Our preference should never hinder the brokenhearted coming to Christ. 
our stiff necks of what we don't want should never keep us from accomplishing what God has for us. There is no growth without change, and there is no change without loss, and there is no loss without pain. You look through every person in the Bible that grew and developed and and achieved and accomplished what God had called them. They went through growth pains. And a person who wants to grow and I want to reach more people for Jesus. I want to make an impact. I want to see families transform. I want to see the, the, the lost reach. I want to see the addicted be delivered. I want to see the marriages restored. But I'm not going to change to do anything about that. The person who wants growth, who wants to increase their impact without going through loss and pain is like a mom saying, I want a baby, but I don't want to go through labor. I I, I don't want to deal with that, but I still want a baby. If you refuse the pain of labor, you will not have a child. There is pain in change, and we cannot allow what God did yesterday to hinder from the loss he wants to reach today, the brokenhearted he wants to mend, he wants to, to mend their hearts today, the impact he has for you and for you and your, for your family, the impact on the kingdom of God and our community, the impact around the world to reach the lost, to see nations discipled, to see missionaries sent out. We're not going to see it unless we embrace the reality that when God moves, we're going to move to When God speaks, we're going to follow. And we, by His grace, are going to embrace all that God has for us. Because what God has for you and what God has for me, what God has for our church is so far better than what He had yesterday. I'm not saying that yesterday was was less than. I'm just saying it's building upon yesterday. But we cannot relive yesterday. You cannot change the past. And so that's why we need to move forward. And for us as a church, my friends, there is fresh bread in the future. There is a new harvest. There is a new breakthrough. There is new great joy for you on the other side of following him. God uses the past to propel us to the future, not to hinder us into what was. And this is what it means to follow God. It is the faith walk. It is the desire to say, Lord, I want every ounce of my life to be wrung out on this earth. I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do. I want to be a part of a church that sees your heart, God, your passion, God, come. I want to see, that. I want to be a church that welcomes those who you welcome. I want to be a church that heals those who you are looking for someone to reach out and say, I want to heal. I want us to be a church that can invest into what it means to be a church that's a light in the midst of the community. This isn't an organization. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are a living organism. And God needs all of us to say, yes, God, I'll follow you. Wherever you lead us, I will follow you. Because I want the impact. I want the new territory. I want to see the lives change. I want to see my life change. I want to be a part of something that's so much greater than myself. That I lay on my deathbed and say, I can't believe I got to be a part of that. That's what God wants for us. And that's where he wants all of us to go. Amen to that. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.